You're listening to Some Pulp on Sunrise Robot. Welcome to episode 18 of Some Pulp. I'm your host, Bruce Edwards, and I'm joined today by co-host, Michael Edwards. Hello, hello. And uh, I think we'll, we'll make this a unique uh, Some Pulp podcast in, in kind of uh, sharing the hosting and even sharing the introduction of the topic, which I'll, uh, I'll invite Michael to do. It, it kind of comes out of a spontaneous discussion. Yeah, so we were, we were iMessaging the other night and uh, just kind of started talking about, um, since I had just seen Bridge of Spies, the latest Spielberg movie, some, uh, you know, mid-20th century politics were kind of on my mind. And uh, um, I thought it would be a nice topic for some pulp to explore. Maybe not so much straight up, like, historical facts as much as um, your stories from your childhood, um, what you know of your parents and your friends and, you know, any of the public context you remember politics playing a part and uh, kind of telling some stories and maybe I can ask some questions as a, as a millennial um, as to what the differences might be to the, the insane hyper media politics culture we have now. Um, so yeah, I think generally just mid 20th century politics. And, you know, my, my first question um, it just seems as good a place as any to dive in is uh, what were the, like the, the cliches or the, the, the tag words or the, um, you know, what, what were the, the things being jabbed back and forth politically? What were the big issues that had labels that were shortcuts for people? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the broad terms that uh, are still thrown around, like left wing versus right wing and, and uh, liberal versus conservative, those were, were still in place and associated with Republicans or Democrats, but not always in typical modes. In other words, the you know the Republican Party of that time was not social issue driven. Um, I, I guess you could say it was big oil driven, economics driven, but but not even the the way it is today. And there was a sub, sub, substantial uh, portion of the then Republican Party that had. Um, what, what we might call liberal, but again, it wasn't in the social issue sense. It, it was more in the sense of of uh, seeing federalism as a, as a very good thing, whereas there would be conservatives, uh, uh, eventually emerging people like uh, Ronald Reagan, who, who decried big government and and saw that even as as much a threat among the Republicans as it was among uh, Democrats. And of course, the, the Democrats had a a Dixiecrat wing of the party, which was against civil rights uh, and uh, more or less uh, hewed to a kind of 19th century view of America. And, and you know, it's typical exceptionalism and, uh, and seeing as certain rights as citizenship and, and being an American as, uh, as belonging to uh, – White Anglo-Saxon, uh, Saxon, uh, I can't say that word. White Anglo-Saxon Protestants, a wasp, <laughs> and uh, you know, you know, having some exclusionary attitudes in both parties of of you know different kinds of uh, uh, like a jingoism. Yeah, and and you know, a sense that uh, uh, you know it, it's not the Ku Klux Klan model. But it's uh, it often came pretty close to a sense that uh, uh, this is for a, a white America. This is for uh, citizens who who uh, came on the Mayflower kind of approach. Uh, and even though we, as a country, had mistreated lots of other ethnic groups, the Irish, yeah. uh, Italians, and, and so forth, that uh, it all it always seemed to come back to the real natives, quote unquote, are not the American Indians. Yeah, but they're the you know the, the people who travel with Columbus and the people who uh, you know uh, filled in the uh, original thirteen colonies and you know this has been you know obviously exposed and and uh, critiqued endlessly uh, especially since the sixties and in innumerable movies and plays and 
TV shows and so forth. But uh, the bottom line is the Republican Democratic Party were, were so closely uh, identified with with uh, typical positions that it was really hard to tell them apart. And, and this is really the the age in which with, with Kennedy's uh, running for president as a as a Catholic. Uh, and uh, somebody from the Northeast, uh, you know, Massachusetts. This was all a, a change and shift from you know, sort of middle America to the uh, the edges of the country. So eventually we have Reagan as a California candidate for president, uh, and uh, on the East Coast, lots lots more uh, ethnic groups coming into the, uh, particularly yeah. the Democratic part. Even today, uh, you know, we're having a lot of Hispanic uh Ted Cruz, uh Marco Rubio uh coming in the Republican Party from the extremes, you know, Texas, Florida, and uh not as much attention to the middle America that used to be the, the part and parcel. Yeah, of, Ohio's uh, had politics. like what, four or five presidents and where have all the Ohio presidents gone? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's this, there, there there's the you know, current governor trying to wedge his way onto somebody's Ticket, and I'm not sure with uh, with his particular style of campaigning and so forth. He can't really seem to generate any any strong interest. <laughs> um, yeah, we're you had to go back to the 1800s for most of the Ohio presidents. Um, James Garfield, Rutherford B. Hayes, William yeah. Henry Harrison, um, McKinley broke us into the 1900s, and then William Howard Taft. Um, Enough about Ohio. Um, let's actually talk more about Ohio. So, having grown up in you know Cleveland area, Akron, and uh, you know, do you have any strong memories of either your parents and what they felt and thought about politics? I feel like we've talked vaguely about this in some episodes. And yeah, well, you know, I would. I'll just uh, mention my my, uh, my dad, who uh, I, I think soften most of his his views uh later in in life in the 80s and and 90s but in 1960 there was a really strong anti-catholic uh attitude in in politics and particularly with with kennedy and uh he he represented a threat to people's sense of uh freedom of religion and i don't know exactly why I I couldn't uh, identify it or understand it when I was uh, uh, you know I was ten years old uh, when this was all happening I just knew that that there was a threat to uh, uh, you know my belief and your belief because if if a Catholic got involved and you know I don't know what what people were thinking I mean there was hardly any particularly strong Christian identity in the White House. <laughs> in in the twentieth century, let alone the twenty first century, in terms of a threat, but uh, somehow th- that equated to uh, some curtailment of religious freedom, which may may have turned out to be a f- you know a freedom from religion. They they didn't want to be faced with the, yeah. the kind of ethics and and um, I can remember being lots of public affairs programming at the time, which tried to explain why. Catholicism was not evil. It was not, you know, it, it, it didn't have a political position. That that there were plenty of liberal, you know, Catholics and conservative Catholics, and Catholics didn't care. And you know, it just seemed like a weird thing having to explain why you're not a threat, yeah, uh, because you're you're you know a, a nominal believer of some vintage nobody could quite you know, articulate. And uh, and well, Barry Gold, Barry Goldwater was running. Uh, against Johnson after the Kennedy uh, assassination, uh, and you know Johnson, I think, is a, a Texas Methodist, and Barry Goldwater is, I think, uh, uh, a non-practicing uh, Jewish person, and uh, you know suddenly things started to become very uh, just sort of slide in terms of of wanting any kind of identification publicly with religion, and. Uh, uh, you know that led to uh, Richard Nixon, who was a Quaker of all things, who you know unleashed the the fury of the uh, United States Air Force on Hanoi and and mm-hmm. uh, in Vietnam, and so the, the, the identity as a Quaker and yet being the most uh, bombing 
<laughs> approval president that, that we'd ever had, mainly because we didn't have the weapons before then. Uh, but anyway, it, it's not a time for public participation as much. I mean, you know, clearly no social media and, uh, you know, and the... Uh, Just letters to the editor. Yeah, letters to the editor. And, and uh, you know, I did participate myself. I wrote a letter to the Akron Beacon Journal uh, uh, on, on behalf of uh, an 18-year-old who was going to be uh, at the Republican convention and be able to cast a vote. And I thought that was great. I said in the letter... You know, uh, all of you who are decrying the fact that this 18-year-old who couldn't possibly be uh, informed enough to, to cast a vote <laughs> at the convention, I said, no, in fact, you know, he's probably more informed and uh, always writing uh, uh, above my rhetorical rank at the time. But, uh, <laughs> well, you just got me thinking just in terms of like an actual election, um, was there the sense of like... Nowadays, like especially for a presidential election, I just get a malaise and fatigue at the the advertising, the debates, the um, you know six hour news cycles of like he said what and tweeted what and like everything feels so fast and hyper now. And what what did the pace feel like then? Was it a daily like oh Johnson showed up in this state and that was kind of it? Or well. Uh the uh, presidential campaigns were mercifully short, and uh, you know what are we a year, you know more than a year out from any actual voting, uh, and uh, although there was always the New Hampshire and uh, Iowa caucus type phenomenon, uh, nobody really paid any attention to it or had any inkling of. Uh, <laughs> now it know, means everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and why. Why Iowa? Why New Hampshire? Anyway, I mean, why pick those states? You know, and it's like, well, nobody <laughs> picked them exactly. They just sort of evolved into these, you know, uh, you know, uh, barometers of of public uh, taste and conviction and so forth. But uh, no, I mean, they started always after Labor Day, and uh, you know, maybe you know, the Nixon uh, Kennedy debates were the most. Uh, uh, illustrious of the the whole decade, the '60s, because it, it was the first set of televised debates and had lots of impact, I think, on voters. You know, Kennedy got to show that he was not some sort of demonic figure, <laughs> and uh, and Nixon looked, you know, tricky, which was his title, of course, Tricky Dick, he was called. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, you, you know, there, there wasn't the there wasn't a, a medium to to express passion. Uh, in the early 60s, and then in, you know, in 68, which is the first real modern election, I would say, because it's, it's uh, uh, Hubert Humphrey versus Richard Nixon. And Humphrey is the uh, former vice president under Johnson after he decided not to run, and there were anti-war candidates. And I was particularly uh, uh, in favor of Eugene McCarthy, uh, and, uh, of course, this was 68, and so it, it meant Bobby Kennedy was involved and eventually assassinated. Uh, but it was really more of a passion election, and there was a lot more uh, media attention, even though it was still network-based, uh, and you know, began to incite the public to take action. And so lots of sit-ins, lots of... Uh, uh, during the Chicago convention that year, there was Grant Park in Chicago was uh, yeah, a scene for lots of police brutality, uh, particularly if you had long hair of any sort. <laughs> of course. They just picked you out of the crowd and said, let's go hit that guy. And uh, it was all televised. And, and so America, for the first time, got to see some internal intrigue and uh, some suppression and oppression, I, I guess you could say, of the uh, of a kind that uh, wasn't typical of, of American uh, politics and American American campaigning, and probably really really radicalized uh, and made possible the sorts of campaigners and and supporters of campaigns that uh, that we see now. Because mm-hmm. if you don't see it. I mean, you could hear on a radio, like like a lot of the civil rights era um, news was broadcast. It was it was you know on the air, but it wasn't visual. 
And once you start seeing oppression in a visual medium as opposed just to a report, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's you know, visceral, it, it, it really is happening and so forth. And, and uh, you know, during you know, my childhood and particularly in my teen years, real public candidates for Senate and, and President actually started to show up in Akron. And there, there were votes there, and, and I remember them coming to my school yeah, and uh, I don't think that would have happened in in the fifties. Um, certainly began in the in the mid sixties. Huh. So, what were the sources for people who wanted to feel informed about candidates? Was it newspapers primarily, or um, just these yeah. events if they came nearby, or was it more vote along party lines? And yeah, because there there isn't really a a, a healthy. Public broadcasting. I mean, public broadcasting existed, uh, but there was there was nothing that might be considered alternative because the networks were run by General Electric and big business and so forth, and so they're they're going to keep a handle on on certain themes and certain kinds of provocative reporting. Like again, we would we would say people can say anything now. And people can, you know, start rumors, and and not not just uh, individual people who can use the internet, but you know, we even see news stories started by news agencies that may or may not have any validity. But we report rumors, we report all sorts of things. Echo and chamber it, starts, yeah, 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 and and you you begin to interview each other for reports, and uh, uh, but that that wouldn't have been possible in. Um, in the 1960s, because there there wasn't enough backing, there wasn't enough courage. Uh, you know, with the exception of the uh, examples of Mike Wallace and Edward R. Murrow and and uh, Walter Cronkite, who you know came out as a strong opponent of the Vietnam War, kind of editorially, and you know CBS was sort of the original uh, network bad boy uh, approach. You know, Dan Rather and so forth. You couldn't. Uh, get anything past them. They wouldn't wouldn't let anything slide by, and uh, but they were individuals. They weren't you know whole networks. They weren't uh, uh, you know yeah. the, the kind of independent source of happenings. And uh, and if you heard anything weird or strange, you probably just dismissed it uh, for being part of a radical element. And you know that's that's a phrase we used a lot in the late sixties. Something was radical. Uh, and so that meant bad. And, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier what were some of the labeling done. I mean, you know, like today, uh, you can try to undermine the credibility and the value of a candidate by calling him a socialist or her a socialist. And, uh, you know, that, that was really akin to calling somebody a communist in the, in the 60s. And uh, there was still active... Uh, a house on un-American activities, like there was in the early '50s with the McCarthy stuff, and uh, you know, of course, with with Bernie, we have a candidate who openly uh, accepts the label. <laughs> He's openly <communist>. socialist. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, earlier in the first Ob- Obama campaign, he was derided as somebody who will lead the country into socialism, whereas now his Democratic detractors say he's led to another <laughs> you know, uh, triumph of big business. And, 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 and yeah, I, I followed the debate last week um, and noticed that people were making a distinction between Bernie and Hillary by saying Hillary wants to fix, wants to amend, wants to you know, hold them you know, to the rules, and, and Bernie wants you know, a complete do-over of, of all yeah. the financial institutions. And so even even there it can be used as a kind of slur on yeah. a candidate. This guy's and, too uh, radical, basically. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in, in uh, I, I've told you, you, Michael, the first time I had a chance to vote, when I was eligible to vote for president, I voted for, for George McGovern, who, uh, who now would not be considered, you know, radical left wing, although he would have been considered liberal or left wing. And, and, uh, you know, his own party sort of ran away from him after he won the, <laughs> the, uh, the candidacy for, for Democratic president. 
And uh, and Nixon, with all the baggage he had, uh, this is pre the the Watergate stuff coming out, uh, was was still elected by you know a vast majority. And uh, to my you know eighteen year old naive, but you know thinking as a Christian, thinking as a, uh, a conservative person, I thought I, I still couldn't vote for, for Nixon. I'd still vote for McGovern because I like his ideas or I like his, his uh, qualities of, of statesmanship. And you know, he, and he was civil. Yeah. And he didn't seem to be in attack mode all the time where, you know, Nixon couldn't cough passively. I mean, it was like he was coughing, <laughs> coughing at somebody. It was never like a, just a, a cough or a sneeze. It was like a, yeah, something sinister, and uh, so I guess the point I would make is that because that the 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 news media as an institution hadn't developed the teeth, although it was it was pretty rough at at times uh, on uh, on Nixon pre Watergate, let alone after Watergate, but uh, uh, the the seeds were there for uh, you know for eventually. Uh, a candidate like like uh, Ford, who had never been elected, you know, to be president, was president for a time, could lose to uh, the the powers that be in uh, in the Republican Party, even because he doesn't have the the uh, the wherewithal to take on Jimmy Carter, yeah. which seems you know absurd now when you think about it. But uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you just got me thinking with uh, that you said earlier about there being not really any strong media sources that you would attribute the word alternative to. Um, right. And uh, is that something that's more like in the 70s emerges, like cable access or, you know, independent radio or uh, zines? Or I don't I don't know when that th- these kinds of things start well, popping to, up. To me, to me, it would it would all start with print. It would be print media. It would be. Uh, magazines, uh, it would be uh, editorials in uh, major newspapers, but you know many cities were not of a of a stature in terms of their their print media to to have any kind of a radical voice or alternative voice because they would have all been lumped in the same category, Republican or Democrat, and, and you know that's why George George McGovern was a, a a kind of test candidate for America at the time because uh, although he would have uh, seen what was coming uh, the future not as a natural progression um, and he might have been uh, somewhat worried about the direction uh, he he nevertheless his loss his you know really catastrophic loss in which you know Democrats were were saying things like. Well, we'll never have a candidate successful again in, in, this, century, <laughs> in this century. Uh, and of course, uh, Jimmy Carter was himself an alternative candidate, and uh, you know, a, a Sunday school teacher from Plains, Georgia, a peanut farmer. And that was the first time I remember campaigns built around uh, the image of a poor farmer or you know a, a poor. Uh, you know, factory worker. I mean, I must have heard every candidate in the last two, two or three weeks, both Republican and Democrat, refer to their parents as poor factory worker. You know, I mean, Hillary did it too, I think. Uh, and uh, wow, I didn't realize how poor these poor candidates, how, how they even, you know, had put food on the children's table, you know. Um, and to me, uh, that was it was much as a shock that uh, Democrats could win the White House in '76 as they did uh, with with Jimmy Carter, um, as it was to see George uh, uh, Bush, the first one, uh, not be able to conquer uh, Ronald Clinton. Reagan in the 80s. Oh, Reagan, yeah, 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 in the '80s. So uh, and, you know, so he had he had to take second place, George. George Bush as the vice president. I mean, he's the former head of the CIA. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, Reagan was an actor. and uh, But he showed himself superior. That just tells you about America, though. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I guess. 
<clears throat> although I, I do have have high uh, regard for the, the particularly the first term of, of Reagan and uh, you know bring that wall down Gorbachev you know that kind of stuff it's very cinematic <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh, you know uh, the uh, Bridge of Spies movie um, does remind me of, of what a big deal the uh, U2 pilot which is you know, of course where the Group U2 derived its its name, Gary Francis Powers, suffered as much when he got home, uh, you know, after the spy exchange as as he as he did in the in the Soviet you know interrogation and yeah and so forth. You're kind of tainted even if you were loyal to your country. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like the uh, the line that uh, Trump had about uh, you know John McClain. Well, I like. I like prisoners who, or I like soldiers who don't get caught, and you know, my, <laughs> uh, you know, coming from somebody who never even served, let alone you know. But uh, that, uh, I began to watch the skies because uh, that, that that created a sense uh, not of UFOs but of uh, you know Russian spy planes, you know. And I didn't even know what a drone was in those days, but I I had this this imagination, um, and of course from Man from Uncle and things we've talked about in the past. Whereas uh, you know the Soviets were were devious, and and there's there's nothing beyond them, and so maybe even they were sponsoring Gary Powers. Maybe he wasn't even really an American. It's, you know, it was just how weird. many twists can there be? Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know the 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 Cold War. Seemed to me to serve uh, Russian interests and and uh, U.S. interests in order to fuel the continued you know development of uh, suspicion on on many sides and and that that was an issue in every presidential campaign on any side uh, in the in the sixties and early seventies but uh, yeah uh, un- until Vietnam was brought to an end at least. And I think that then unleashed a, a big sigh of relief. And uh, even though you know things did happen uh, as as uh, everybody predicted they would, that is that uh, you know South Vietnam would would fall and it would become one one uh, uh, country again. And uh, and now Vietnam is one of our trading partners. And and uh, where well, I used to get T-shirts that said "Made in Japan" or "Made in China," now they say. Main Vietnam, so yeah, and we're we're opening relations with Cuba. This is strange times we're in now. Yeah, um, trying to think of where else we could take this conversation. I feel like we've hit a lot of things. I mean, did you feel like in your peer group uh, that people really cared about politics that much, or um, or was it like, oh, there's that friend that got really kind of loud about politics, but then the rest of us are kind of like keep it to ourselves? Or, well, uh, I, I, I'm trying to think. I, I don't want to say too much about myself, but uh, I probably was the most interested and <laughs> in active political person uh, in in the group of students that. Uh, you know, I went to school with, went to high school with, because I was interested. I, I you know, I, I think I've said this before. I had, uh, before my draft number was released, I had prepared my conscious objectors uh, status mm-hmm. case. You know, wrote voluminously <laughs> about it, and then my number turned out to be three fifty four, which means I would only have uh, ever been called up uh, if uh, all else failed, and you know. America was overrun by Soviets and yeah. so forth. But uh, so I never filed that, but I had it prepared, and and there were repercussions for filing it, and so I, I wanted to avoid avoid that. But nevertheless, I was active in discussions and so forth. And you know, everybody has had a teacher or two who liked to use his classroom, whatever the subject matter, to be a place for you know debating political type things and I had a couple of, of those one was an English teacher which is the typical person who does that <laughs> in uh, popular media and so forth um, but uh, I, I can't say that a lot of my uh, friends and associates were particularly politically inclined or particularly politically informed 
and uh, you know, because you know, you do have this image that high schools also had, you know, debate teams, and uh, and I I don't think we ever competed uh, in any significant way, but you know, by having our our classmates take a side and you know debate an issue and and uh, link them to political parties. But you know the the thing I came out of the '60s with, with which is a sen- I had the sense that there wasn't a lot of difference between Re- Republicans and Democrats, <laughs> and, uh, and and everything depended upon um, a, a kind of uh, contentment with America as it is, uh, and we can just tweak it, and uh, and you know and you know McGovern my my. Candidate in 1972 was uh, uh, more of somebody who wanted to change institutions and and not just uh, tweak. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and Ronald Reagan didn't want to tweak either. He wanted to get rid of big government. He wanted to consolidate uh, uh, and or remove different departments like the Department of Education, uh, yeah, so forth. Uh, but but now I don't think uh, I mean Republicans and Democrats are too invested in the federalism as a model for government and and uh, I don't I don't think they're going to reduce any departments soon. No, um, oh, you just got me thinking of something. I lost it. We we could talk about a handful of of, uh, of movies. I mean, uh, again, radio is not a radical medium, um, although when radio becomes fm oriented and, and you know plays now extended uh, rock formats and they give lots of freedom for uh, uh songs and anthems i might say about you know whether it schools out <laughs> <laughs> or uh you know uh, civil rights kinds of of messages and songs and uh you know what one memorable uh song uh Abraham Martin and John, which was about the assassinations of uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, John Kennedy, and Martin Luther King, and that was a, a Dion Demushi who used to be a, just a balladeer about teen love. Uh, he he wrote that song, but FM also gives rise to uh, talk shows, and because it can be extended, there was you know, like if you're up at night and you want to listen, that's fine. And this will go on to four o'clock, five o'clock, yeah. six a.m. Uh, and the you know the the, the topics could be fairly. There's uh, our word again, radicalized <laughs> things that that you know like you, you could have a, a a so-called socialist and a John Bircher, you know, radical uh, right right wing guy, and uh, you know they could debate for two hours. And uh, if you had an FM radio, not everybody did. <laughs> um, you know, you could, you could listen to that, and so the, the seeds were being sown. Uh, a lot of it's happening on college campuses, and uh, again, uh, movies like Doctor Strangelove, which is about the nuclear war, uh, and uh, the shenanigans that go on in the in the White House. Which uh, you know, it, it, it's worth saying that people really didn't know what went on in the White House. There were there were no expo- expose type books. And if you ever learned anything about a closed door meeting, uh, like in all all the president's men, that that sort of thing post post Watergate, yeah. um, it was it was highly fictionalized, and there weren't any tell all books. And, and if uh, you know somebody was uh, a Secretary of State, uh, he might because there wouldn't have been any she's to write them. Uh, he might write a reminiscence of his days in the White House twenty years later, but now these these books and these these reminiscences and so forth they come out within two years after somebody walks out of office. Yeah, and they're, you know, they're given you know a big uh, advance and so forth. And they always come out right before they run for a new office. <laughs> <laughs> well, or, or even the idea that a, a Secretary of State in the uh, early '60s would ever be qualified, quote unquote to run for uh, office as opposed to being in a perpetual uh, post in a, in a, uh, you know, a democratic or Republican uh, uh, administration uh, or at the state level, uh, that, that would have been absurd because 
you know, Robert McNamara came to be under under Kennedy a despised figure, the the real author of the uh, uh, Vietnam War and so forth, and uh, he, I, I would say in in the fifties, nobody is ever going to doubt the patriotism of Dwight Eisenhower. You know, nobody is going to. You know, he's the one who gives us the, you know the famous phrase. I think we've talked about it on yeah. an earlier one. The military-industrial complex. That's the last warning he gives as he leaves office, and uh, that's about as radical and as unusual as you can imagine until the '60s. And at the end of the '60s, I think all bets are off. And uh, the, you know, movies, uh, radio in particular, uh, rarely television shows, but you know, often enough, there's a some, something that sticks out. Uh, to to present this alternative view of anything, you know, and I, I think we we talked uh, a couple of months ago on an episode where it, it, there's a one point in the mid '60s where 75 percent of the TV shows are police shows, which shows you where the the country is, or at least Hollywood is, and you know what is it people want to want to see? They want to see bad guys, and they want to be want to see them beaten up. <laughs> and incarcerated, and, and you know, it's it's a very thinly disguised view of lots of very oppressive uh, attitudes, and uh, racial and otherwise. And uh, uh, it, it, when you don't have a uh, you know an outlet, you don't have a way of expressing or, or even asking questions like why is this the way it is? Yeah, and even the asking of the question is considered disloyalty. And you're not sure, well, what am I disloyal to exactly? Yeah. And, um, you know, it is it is the, the pivot, I think, of, of 20th century history that any question is is able to be asked after the 60s. And, uh, and some people are even interested in answering them. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. There's... Um, a, th- a flood of books that come out right at the beginning of the of the seventies that not only you know have questions about the Kennedy assassination, which there are always books like that, yeah, uh, but they they start to question the roots of American democracy, and uh, you know college classrooms are no longer uh, you know divided into history and. Sort of sociology that you know it's kind of a combined uh, as more radical elements come into public education and, and uh, schools uh, again, you have a whole generation of people now able to ask questions to study and uh, and draw conclusions and, and write other books and other magazines and so forth so uh, you know it, it is an early stage for what eventually becomes, you know, a Reddit forum or, or you know, some, yeah. some other other kind of re- of uh, rhetorical uh, approach that uh, uh, it, be, it becomes uh, open to even to foreign uh, foreign national ideas. So that in the late seventies, when I'm in grad school, I'm learning about Jacques Derrida and Michel right. Foucault and <laughs> so forth. Uh, who begin to question the authority of institutions and how those institutions came to be and so on and so forth. There was the uh, uh, show that was on uh, CBS Sunday Morning a couple weeks ago, I uh, uh, alluded to, uh, where the all the president's secrets, that, that phrase, uh, well, they weren't all revealed in the, in the 70s after Watergate because some... Uh, a lower aid in the Nixon White House just recently in the past year walked out of the White House uh, and uh, kept kept these guarded documents at his his home. Uh, he walked <laughs> out of them uh, during the late uh, stages of the Nixon uh, debacle, but uh, he just decided to reveal them or, or huh. uh, hand them over, and he handed them over to. The original All the President's Men guys, Bob Woodard, and uh, there he was able to uh, uh, see more of the the sinister, arrogant, uh, enemies list kind of approach that 
uh, you wouldn't be surprised, nobody would be surprised that the Nixon White House had its enemy lists and therefore <laughs> justified a lot of subsequent presidents' enemy lists. You know, you know, people that, you know, weren't literally going to be killed, but they were going to be uh, in, in some ways... Watched uh, or intimidated. Uh, or... Yeah, and, and uh, you know, wicked, dirty politic type stories to undermine their their presence and so forth and the remainder of the of the decades but uh there they there they were and so there's uh an amazing but uh refreshing kind of approach to these kinds of scandals after the 70s and uh you know even the fact that everything has gate attached to it. I'm so sick of that. (laughs) Yeah, deflate gate, you know, for instance, and uh, other kinds of gates, but... uh, Every single Apple release has some gate associated with it. Bend gate, (laughs) (laughs) or bend Ghazi, as some people... Ghazi may be the next one, but... It was just the name of an apartment complex. (laughs) Uh, If it had been called uh, water... Twizzle, I guess we would call these something twizzles. It also kind of implies that water had something to do with the scandal because gate is the, like, that was water gate. This is bend gate. This is deflate gate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, it's interesting to hear how, you know, lots has changed, very dramatically changed, but there's, there's sort of the similar core human elements underlying everything like you know the how media has transformed politics but it's still kind of the same cycles of of scandal and labeling and um debate and i'm just wondering if the 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 hyper speed of modern media gives way to anything new or is it just we're just on this starship that's just going to get faster and more absurd as it goes well, the the thing is, uh, there's there's no way to turn that spigot off, and uh, there, like you said, uh, I'm not sure there's not now just a two minute uh, news cycle yeah. on things, and and yet some some of these uh, folks, I mean, I, I would say even Donald Trump and his camp seem to have been able to control the narrative so that. To my surprise, he's there, there's still a campaign because I would have thought yeah. six months ago that his ability to infuriate people uh, would eventually end his campaign, but it just seems to fuel it, and um, yeah. it, it, it's really kind of remarkable. Um, I listened to a podcast with uh, the the sports guy Bill Simmons who you know was uh, unceremoniously dismissed from ESPN and yeah uh, and he's going to have a HBO show and so forth but I I heard him talk to uh, his guest for like twenty minutes about the remarkable sustainability of the uh, Trump campaign and of course you know he's got the money to do it but it doesn't seem that the people who don't like him have any personal ability to dissuade others from liking him. In other words, there's there's no negative label you can put on him uh, that seems to persuade people not to... Yeah, there's some... You know, you know like him's not the word. You know, like him in the Facebook sense, <laughs> uh, which is... Well, you know, and I'm sure media doesn't mind too much because it's just... I mean, he makes them money. He draws attention every single time. And so they're not going to stop covering him if that keeps happening because um, that's that's their currency. But, you know, it has been remarkable that um, not even traditional, like, I feel like conservative candidates kind of have, have had to court Fox News or, or other, like, very conservative outlets. And Trump kind of, you know, puts them in their place in a weird way of like, nah, I don't care about you. Like, you march to my beat, and it's weird to see because I don't feel like we've seen that for a long time. Well, I yeah, I can't think of an, another good example to illustrate or even explain what's happening because there hasn't been anybody quite as uh, 
what would you call it? Polarizing for for majority effect? I mean, I don't I don't know. It's uh, yeah. There's some weird formula going on here that will be studied. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, n- nobody like Trump, and you know, and, and to me, comparing Trump to Reagan, it it, it doesn't compute at all because to me. Um, you know, Reagan was not without his faults and so on and so forth. But uh, I always liked that uh, Phil Hartman treatment of the uh, <laughs> uh, of the uh, Reagan years where he pretended to be senile. But then as soon as all the press got out of the way, he went back to being a real yeah. leader. I, I love that because I think uh, you could have affection for Reagan uh, and maybe even sympathy uh you know based upon just just that sort of treatment of him uh in the, in that uh, skit and uh, i mean you you could you know say i'm not voting for him or i don't like him or whoever he appoints is something i'm going to oppose but you you know here here was a guy Reagan who had Tip O'Neill as a friend who's you know as as wide-eyed a, a liberal type uh legislator as anybody uh, and uh, he he found a way to to get along and uh, you know preserve what is still a pretty positive you know historical retrospective on his his uh, his presidency, which which again is also something to me that signals why uh, Nixon prepared the way for somebody like Reagan uh, because as unlikable as Nixon was. Uh, his presence, uh, you know, presented negativity and and uh, uh, kind of a scoundrel type character. Where, where Reagan seems to project. I mean, here's a guy who survived an assassination, and and uh, you know he's stalwart and he's uh, believable, and and uh, uh, and so he will come out of of uh, at least the next fifty years, at least with with a fairly positive. Uh, treatment, but Nixon will never be given that. Yeah, uh, and uh, even if he did do, I mean, he's he is the one, as Spock says in uh, uh, one of the Star Trek movies. Nixon opened up China, and so you know, they, uh, uh, Spock credits uh, uh, Kirk with uh, doing something parallel to what Nixon did. Yeah, and uh, you know, becomes a uh, a cliche. For uh, science fiction movies, but uh, he also created the EPA, which was one of the right. f- weirdest right. facts to know about yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure it didn't eventually turn out the way he thought it would, but uh, it was it was a good try uh, from a Republican perspective. Now, you know, they would they would want it to be uh, defunded and so forth. But yeah, Nixon also lowered the voting age. I'm looking at a website right now. <laughs> Yeah. Of the good things about Nixon's presidency. Anyway, um, now I think we've covered a lot of interesting ground here of the the media and the public and the the kind of the vibe of politics. It's fun for me to look back, but I also know what a troubled decade it was, and and how messy it was, and and how uh, you know it, it becomes uh, a kind of a scarlet decade because of the. Uh, assassinations and war. because of the the, the, the war and uh, you know the uh, it just it just seemed to to create um, well I'll put it this way it, this it, it's an anti Disney era <laughs> and uh, it's not a good decade for Disney yeah we lost Walt <laughs> uh, yeah and uh, and so you know movies like Tomorrowland which we were talking about earlier. They try to revive a sense of optimism, uh, futurism, and I don't. I don't think that in the uh, six, uh, the sixties uh, there was a market for futurism, uh, and I think it starts to come back with the space shuttle, and then dips because of the space shuttle disaster, and with movies like The Martian, for one in particular, uh, it, uh, it it does try to heighten our expectation for a better. Century to come, and uh, and it might be. I think I've seen a dozen movies in the last five years that somewhere or other 
you know, want to credit NASA with keeping our dreams alive, which I think is a bit far-fetched, but yeah. you know, I understand it. I mean, it, it's part of my childhood uh, imagination that uh, somehow NASA will will be at the forefront of uh, of everything that's you know good and true and beautiful. And, uh, <laughs> hasn't hasn't quite turned out that way, but uh, uh, you know between. Uh, uh, Ridley Scott and uh, Mark, uh, Matt Damon. Maybe, maybe we can create some convincing, uh, yeah, you know, gun laws. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Interstellar was more awakening of a, a space desire than The Martian, but maybe The Martian was a little more practical. I don't know. Yeah, well, no, there's no no question about it. That uh, I would, I would say, Interstellar is very theological. And uh, uh, the Martian is much more uh, uh, interested in, in the practical and the engineering model of uh, of uh, space flight, which is, you know, yeah. address one problem, then move on to the next. And if you run out of daylight, then you find a way to put the light on. If you run out of food, you make potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blow yourself so, up. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for listening to episode 18 of Some Pulp. Uh, you can find show notes and links to some of the things we mentioned at sunriserobot.net slash sumpulp slash 18. And uh, as always, you can subscribe to our show uh, using the podcast app on your iPhone or you could download Pocket Cast if you're on an Android phone and uh, search for Some Pulp in the app and you should be able to click subscribe or you can use the buttons on our website. And uh, as always, we love feedback on our shows. If you have a suggested topic or you want to follow up with some questions or comments, uh, we're both on Twitter. I'm at Medwards Music, and the, your host, Bruce Edwards, is at Bruce BGSU, um, if you'd like to send in some comments or questions. And uh, with that, we'd also like to give a special thanks to our top uh, Patreon supporters of the Sunrise Robot Podcast Network, um, your very own Bruce Edwards right here. And uh, also Andreas Lange. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Bye.